Oh, I don't notice anything at all. Okay, there's a big scary machine up there. That's How's awesome. my makeup? You look beautiful, but you uh, always look fucking beautiful. Uh, there are good days and bad days, you know? Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode number three, uh, Batman 657. We're just moving right along through this thing. I am Jeff, as always, and this week I am joined once again by one of my favorite people in the entire world, Justin Cassatt, Bat Scholar, uh, acolyte of the Chuck Ditson School of Batman. How are you doing this morning, buddy? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm just trying to find my place um here were what we were i read a little bit ahead today just because I, I did i did too because i'm getting into it yeah i'm just i was sipping that bat brew so i'm trying to figure out where where we're starting today um i've got it as page glad to be here buddy one ish oh i'm and i'm so glad to see you what a great i'm just so glad that we're we're doing this and it gives us an excuse to spend some time together in the morning for sure a couple of days no i i love it i was looking forward to it all morning um so while I was gone, I heard that you had Roman on the show. I did. And it sounds like you guys got to meet the little boy. Only just in a final page shot. So okay, I actually, okay. he had some work stuff he had to do this morning. And I was going to see if I could get him on to talk to me and you since oh. this first issue of Damien is so juicy. I thought we mm-hmm. would all kind of love... Uh, juicing from the teat of this spoiled spoiled boy yeah okay cool um so before and hopefully i wonder if do you think that roman's listening to these when they start going up right now we're still in that phase of i'm kind of trying to get a bank of them together probably try and get like two weeks worth together and then i'll start putting them up as we're recording them i'm just terrified i'm gonna fall behind justin oh no no we got this i if anyone's gonna fall behind is me and i'm ahead so, uh, you know, I was really worried, like, oh, God, I signed up for a thing, and I'm not really good at doing things like that, but and book and, got. and I, I want to stress to all of you wonderful guests, don't let m- this be a stress for y'all. This is, mm-hmm. this is Jeff's trip, so don't, uh, don't, don't worry about that at all. Um, I just wanted to say an observation on very first early signs of Damien, um, which won't be spoiling anything, but... It will be spoiling something of Roman's character. Uh-oh. And if you come into the store and you come and see Roman behind the counter and you get this just like really warm kind of serene uncle vibe from him and you're just encouraged to want to be around his warm, gentle presence, there's also a tiny infantile little spirit of chaos inside <laughs> of him. And sometimes he likes to break into a little kid voice, which I think is actually his, his voice as a little child and do mischievous things where he'll push things over on purpose and go or try to like hit books out of your hands and call you a nerd. Historically, we have been doing a podcast all together called the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast for years. Um, But if you're listening to this and you aren't 
this is your first introduction to this uh, enclave of comic book fans. Yes, do not believe for a second that Roman is the pure positive uncle that he uh, makes you think that he is because he is right. exactly there. He, there's a small mischievous imp inside of that man. Right. He, while he is that, that uncle, there is also, he's, he contains multitudes and I can't help but read early Damien as that little like nah, Roman. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to do a really quick broad summary here. Um, first of all, this issue came out, um, no or it was uh august 27th of 2000 or september sorry september 27th of 2006 so we're just finished up the summer i looked there's a whole bunch of porn books that came out this week because eros <laughs> comics and like a bunch of other porn companies were still like highly in the mix but um 2006 wow yeah i know 2006 those 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 kids that was a horny year oh it was horked out horked up horked out just yeah absolutely juice sweat everywhere gross Mm -hmm. um but uh yes on in this issue we basically have damien it's taken to the bat cave with bruce he meets tim drake and uh they get along swimmingly they get along swimmingly bruce goes out on an adventure damien has his own adventure and then heads back to the bat cave where he hangs out with tim a little bit longer um (laughs) So it's mostly an issue where people get to start pinging off of Damien a little bit, and he gets to meet his father and his uh, mysterious career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, gosh, it, since this run has come out, a lot of people have written Damien. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like there's, I think there's only a couple writers who have written him well, because a lot of people just write him as kind of like a turd boy. Right. But he's a really a turd boy in this one too. Like Greg, oh, yeah. he's like, I I forgot how turded out he was in the beginning of this. He's a little turded dove. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, speckled turded dove. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, he sucks. Um, and it's it's weird. Like, Damien has such a distinct purpose in like Telos in this batman run um that like he's constantly in motion his character is constantly changing and growing and evolving through this whole run um i think that like he's a character that can't really be written as a static robin like every other robin can be that's a really really good point wow like if you try to pluck him from his timeline and just keep him this one type of character that's not fundamentally damien at all because he's this whole arc is him growing well, yeah, actually, I, I didn't even think about that until you just said it, but it's such a good point that, like, other Batman sidekicks, while they've had arcs, they really are static characters that could be uh, encapsulated in that form for, you know, forever, 30 years if they needed to. I mean, to. look at Dick Grayson. Like, he's just been the same character forever. Yeah, and while yeah, he he's has... He's gotten taller. Yeah, <laughs> and while he has left Batman and created a Nightwing persona, like... He is someone who still morally, ethically, behaviorally is the same. Whereas Damien was written and created to have an arc. So yeah, like his his legacy beyond this original arc um, is not what he was designed for. I, I that's a really really interesting thought I hadn't thought about. Nice right, point. and I feel like I've well, thank you. Um, I feel like you and I have like you know, I think we're pretty open about liking Damien and that's a controversial thing. And 
um, people only read Damien as this little turd and cause people try to like pluck him out and distill his essence outside of this run. And the only thing they can kind of do is give him this reductive, like, well, he's the kind of shitty Robin. Yeah. And it's like, well, he is, but like inside this run, there's so much more, you know, he's kind of eventually the, the, like Robin was once meant to be in, in Batman, like how we view Batman. He's like the, the main almost the main character of this arc in a lot of ways. Maybe not so much the main protagonist, but he's like player one in video games. Like he's, and that's what Robin kind of was originally, is like a viewpoint to see Batman and communicate yeah, with Batman. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point because Batman isn't necessarily the most identifiable character, right? It's not yeah. like, yeah, I'm a lot like that guy. And then I, right. who tend to, has a tendency to like identify with the protagonist just because they're the protagonist. It's like, yeah, I don't... I don't necessarily follow the Batman school of anything in my life, actually. Right. So it's a, it's a tough identification. Um, and he's just so like, so rigid and yet kind of perfect and cool. It's like, none of us feel quite like we're on that level of like perfection and coolness. So it's, you know, we usually have a Robin to humanize him and to like be the human eyes we view the story through. Um, so I think like there's that kind of people only know Damien as the shitty Robin you know, the, like, turd boy. And at times he's a turd boy, but I really don't like when, you know, you see a Teen Titans run and Damien's only there to be a dick. It's like, oh, well, it's especially after this run has happened. Right. Um, and in, in, in the current age of comic books, yeah, to, to write him that way seems like a massive step back because I do think Grant Morrison really perfectly gave him a great character arc and he, he is somebody at the end of this that he's not now. And there have been other writers. Is Tomasi is the one who's also done some good... Mm -hmm. good damien stuff um yeah uh pages two and three here justin we get the first kind of epic visual feast shot of the bat cave and every mm -hmm. run and every time an artist comes on a batman book they kind of get their shot at drawing the bat cave so mm -hmm. i'm curious we got andy kubert's take here we got the big dinosaur the joker car the giant penny um how do you feel about this bat cave do you have a favorite bat cave and what's your what is your definitive bat cave what do you need to have in it i like this one i think my favorite uh is is i'm not necessarily a huge jim lee fan but the one that always stands out in my mind is in hush when we get the kind of glory shot of the bat cave it might even be like a fold-out image it's got like machines with like spinning batmobiles and yeah this has got the, you know, the subterranean take. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about Andy Kubert, actually? Um, I just really, really like Andy Kubert. Um, for some reason, I was really into the, like, the blue-black cape and cowl. And Kubert always has a lot of blue, especially in this run. Batman has a lot of blue at first in his cape. Um, and for some reason, as a kid, I liked that a lot. Um, and I guess I would have expected, and maybe my younger self likes this Batcave a lot. But, um, and I, I think Kubert's art's fine. Um, it's kind of quintessential in a lot of ways, um, which at the same time risks being a little bit boring. Um, but this run, to, or this Batcave, honestly feels a little bit like kind of a barren, reduced Jim Lee one. Like, you know, there's the three main, the Joker card, the Penny, and the... The dinosaur. Uh, the dinosaur. And then there's like some armor cases that you see but there's really not a whole lot going on in here it's just like kind of stark it's more empty. structural than with content 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I notice a lot of the times you talk, you pay a lot of attention to like the way a room feels laid out in, lived in, breathed in, and like how it functionally would work. And a lot of artists put a lot of time into that. And that's a thing that I notice that you inherently do that is a skill that I've learned from you. And looking at this, I'm like, this is not functional at all. Someone <laughs> as smart as Batman probably would lay out a, the feng shui is all off. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's, it would be hard to walk around. It would. And you'd have to walk around a lot just to go from a computer to a different computer. Like, oh, God, the yeah. other screen's down a level and over across the chasm. Right. And why would you have the penny? Like, you have a whole floor, and then most of that floor is just a penny. Like, gosh, gosh I got to go floor. down. Yeah, I got to go down <laughs> and look at that penny. Um, so, you know, I, and I, I don't hate it. I'm just saying, like, I've noticed, like, God, this is a really weird kind of barren one. There have been times where I've seen the bat. And I, I can't like think of an exact one. It's been in the animated series sometimes. Um, it's like in flashbacks, I think in the New Frontier, the Bat, um, the Darwin Cook story, the Batcave kind of is almost like a museum with a computer in it mm -hmm. where it's like there's tons of like little memorabilia that he collects from his crimes. I like and that. I always like, yeah, I like that maybe Batman, like, you know how the Predator collects like from the predator movies collects the skulls of his prey like i kind of like batman being the weirdo who needs like totems or you know right. tokens uh souvenirs from his crimes or his his wars against crime i just um, want to touch on the what you said about andy kubert is um because these episodes haven't gone up yet so you haven't heard my take on it but it is you expressed my thoughts better than i did which is that's a great way of putting it i do think kubert's art is iconic um, yeah. but I do think it, it lacks an, an imagination to it. Um, and you just clarified that thought to me and I, I really, that's a great way of putting it. Cause like, he's not a bad artist, but he's not super exciting to me. No. And I, I like it a lot, but I recognize some of the liking of it is just kind of nostalgia and like what I expect comics from this era to look like. And as I'm diving into it and there's not a complaint, I, like I said, I love this run, but like the more I look back, I used to think that Kubert was just like this class, like this kind of comic book God. And it's because he was putting out a lot of work back then. Yeah. And lots of comics look like Kubert, but his environments are very, very barren. Um, and his facial expressions are not, not always super great. Um, so while I think he like really defined a look, which is great, you know, like any comic can kind of look like that and feel like a Kubert book. I don't think he's necessarily like a, a talented with a capital T artist. Yeah. You know? There's not much style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, the page after that sort of big bat cave double page spread, um, we get Damien just like super rudely pulls off the sheet that's been covering this Batmobile he's been working on for a while. And I didn't think about this until this moment, but that kind of looks like the structure of what ultimately is the Batmobile when we get to the quietly batman and robin stuff where it's kind of like a flying one yeah i think i think that's again an, another morrison being awesome morrison because they referenced it a few issues ago that he's working on a new right. batmobile um and i think that that is hinted at a couple times yeah he's working on it in um in the first issue of this run and yeah i think that that is the the, the batmobile yeah. right the metaphorical new batman that takes over Right. Um, so we get Tim meeting good old, good old Damian Wayne here. Um, I am a huge Tim Drake fan, but what this 
kind of made me feel is Damien is like super disrespectful to Tim, not terribly surprising. Um, and like, I guess there's this weird feeling that this book kind of gives me about like the whole Tim Drake era, this era of Batman, or like even the Tim Drake era of Robin being um, Tim Drake. It's kind of confusing because like, it's almost like the way Damien calls him out on how Tim is, it's almost a sort of like if your original girlfriend saw you with like your three girlfriend later girlfriend and she's just kind of like a hot bimbo. Not that Tim Drake is like that or people are bimbos or anything, but like it, there's this weird feeling that like maybe Batman knows that like this duality of Batman and Robin isn't the perfect system because like, well, the first one bailed, the second one died. This third one doesn't get along with myself. There's just this, this weird feeling of like, kind of like batman do you need to move on from this dynamic i, I don't right. know this sort of like denial to be working through it seems like the the twilight era of batman and i i love the dynamic of batman and robin but s- at sure. some point i kind of started to get this feeling of like batman if you're as great as you are shouldn't you move on from this thing at some point like you're just kind of keep fucking up these little kids i don't know it was just a weird Right, and feeling I got in Damien disrespecting Tim, and Batman's like, "No, he's just as good as all. He's great, and he <laughs> is great. He's he's fantastic. He's probably I mean, maybe my favorite Robin, but um, I don't know. There was just a I got a weird feeling of like denial for moving on or something. That I don't know. Right, and I think that is a good observation. I. And at this point, like Batman is doing so many solo missions and he is like quite a bit older and Tim like went off and did his own thing. Like, is it a really a sidekick dynamic? Tim's like an older Robin at this point. He's got a different costume. Like Batman, maybe you should just kind of like stop recouping children. Yeah. Or, recognize that. that. That's a good point as well. Is like maybe there's that feeling is enhanced by the fact that Tim is older and they are like more independent at this point. So it, there's just kind of like, I kept getting this feeling of like a relationship that's staying together, but that maybe both people need to move on or something. And right. So but, you can hang out with your abusive child. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's also the reason why he dislikes Tim so much is remember that there's this big emphasis at this time that Tim was Batman's favorite Robin. Like they were the closest and Batman, I can't remember if it's later in this run during that kind of two-faced stuff or if it's right before this run, but Batman formally adopts Tim. Yeah, I do remember that. And that's why in this, he says nothing will change between us because like they're like father and son at this point and now he has a real biological son. So some of it is Damien like shitting on Tim because he realizes that Tim's like this weird adopted son and he's threatened by it. Right. I really like Tim. Like, I can't ever pick a favorite Robin. I resonate with all of them in different levels. But I got, like, still pissed off that Damien's being so disrespectful to Tim. So disrespectful to Tim. And Tim is being pretty cool. And And, and Tim's just cool. He's just a nice guy. He's just like, hey, man. like Good heart. Right. Thinking of me as a person, and I see this, like, aggro little assassin kid in, in my you know, who's also a threat to to my relationship with this mentor, dad, uncle guy that I've lived my entire or most of my adult life with. And Tim's first thing is to say, hey, how are you? Like, that's such a nice thing to do. I would be like, who's yeah. this little freak? You know, exactly. Like, my, my role has been threatened. 
Right. Like I try my best to be a nice person and I think I would still be threatened in this situation and a little skeptical. And Tim's like so open, you know, he like goes up and introduces himself right away. Like that sucks that Damien is like that. And I'm sure, you know, writers being writers did that to capitalize on emotions to make us not like Damien. Right. But like you're disrespecting the guy that, you know, most fans, you know, I think Tim was kind of largely the people what like fans liked to see as Robin. Like that was the Robin's Robin. So especially uh, like after Jason and everything. Right. Um, So it just good work, Grant Morrison, but it sucks to see Tim kind of get that, that uh, shitty treatment. It would, I have like, it's interesting. Like Damien is being a total shit to Tim. And then he like goes up to his room and Batman comes up there and Damien like won't acknowledge batman's authority until Mm -hmm. batman just like gets like angry abusive dad like not abusive but angry authority he treats him like a yeah he like starts using like martial arts parlance like he starts speaking like a and he realizes like that's the only way the only father figure that damien has had has been like some like rigid kind of martial arts teacher like you know he hasn't had that's the closest thing to a father role. So he's like, I'm going to order you around like a student. And then Damien kind of responds. That's just um, tough. That even my first reading of this, that was kind of tough for me. Cause like, there's a, a big fan of Mr. Rogers inside of me. Mm-hmm. So I'm just sort of like, you got it. No love, not this. And that that's not what is effective here, which just sort of proves that that's not always effective. I, I guess I, I I like to live my life thinking that like compassion is always the way that you act but um yeah I, I was just it's still I was a little conflicted by like it, it's it, it makes sense but I also don't like the firm hand being the effective one you know I want to live in a world where kindness is what's always the most effective thing for sure um and I think like the the kind of commentary there and what Grant Morrison was going for is like Batman A is kind of Batman he doesn't he's not super good at being touchy-feely but he was trying to like here here's my house here's my kind of weaponized playground here's my all my things he was trying to be nice and invite him and it was not working yeah because Damien is a child soldier like he only knows the dynamics of war and strategy and so he has to in order to empathize with Damien he has to like speak and frame himself in a way that Damien can respond to, which is through like Damien only knows these dynamics, master student or master servant dynamics, and only knows things in terms of like war. So Batman was like, fuck, okay, all right, I'm gonna sink to your level and talk to you in the way that you know how. And he's good and maybe, at it. He's good at it. It actually, this made me like Batman a lot because he's like, okay, like this kid doesn't get empathy. So the only way I can get to him is by playing his game for a while. Okay. Um, and it showed kind of an emotional intelligence that Batman sometimes doesn't display for me. Um, and then it also made me feel really bad for Damien. Like Damien, could you imagine your entire life where everything is just kind of a large chess game to win? Like, and that's what even your parental interactions are is like, I got to best and outsmart my parents all the time. Yeah. They make you a cold, hard little dick. Um, and so i was like fuck that sucks i I feel bad for damien even though he's like absolutely like just a little more than a little shitty he's just like terrible in this issue but i get it 
And he does like tail between his legs when Batman does that. And I do think that like the, the Kubert drawing of Batman, like the cape goes up and it's almost like an anime scene or something, right. you know, like. Uh, yeah, he's emoting with his costume, which is effective. Then we get a couple page sequence of following up on what Tim had shown back up at the cave talking about is that the spook, I think is the character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, just a sort of C-list criminal uh, has an undercover cop going to hunt him down. They're all in these ghost costumes. And and another instance of like, I think the first issue had a little bit of this, but kind of confusing storytelling. And I, I think that it's maybe part Morrison, but also like a good part Kubert is that when Batman then goes to confront the spook here, we are to understand that the head has been cut off, but we don't actually see that. We just have this one little text caption that the Batman says, what happened to his head? Um, and then that follows up two pages later when Tim comes into the Batcave and Damien has a severed head of somebody with a grenade in their mouth. But um, there's a, again, the first issue of the run, there's just a couple instances of like, I wish there was a little bit more clarity in the, what's happening visually. Right. Um, I also noticed that too, there's, there's, um, and I think this would be like a really big, bugbear for Django because this is the kind of stuff that Django likes it's like this is Django's first like weapon he pulls out of his arsenal when he wants to like get on the I don't like Grant Morrison as much as you do you know when he like starts that campaign his first thing is like Morrison makes cognitive leaps that we don't that most people don't understand yeah and we don't get Um, to see the transitions we don't get to yeah right and I think there's a couple my really abbreviated analysis of that is like I think a and anyone has known this and experienced this Jeff I know you have like have you ever noticed sometimes when you talk to someone who's like an expert of a thing like a college professor or someone who knows a subject really really well sometimes they tend to kind of project that you know it as well as them and will make leaps that you can't follow and then there's almost this like awkwardness that they they don't quite understand that you don't know what they know yeah. I don't know. I felt like I've talked to people sometimes who have concentrated on a style of knowledge or a form of knowledge for so long that they can make all these quick cognitive uh, connections and leaps that you don't necessarily make. And then you have to catch up. Sometimes I, oh, my internet is unstable. Okay. never mind. Moving on. Sometimes I feel like Morrison, he's so imaginative. And so he like thinks in panels and comics that his brain makes a leap in a script and we don't necessarily have that connective tissue that Morrison has Mm because like, and I've seen, and you've seen in his documentaries, like he has these things plotted out. He has journals just for him. He thinks in panels, he sketches out all this stuff in like really in-depth ways. So I feel like sometimes Morrison's almost, and this is me just, I guess, defending it against an invisible defense, but sometimes I feel like Morrison does get kind of jumpy with his storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's just because he's making these huge leaps in imagination that makes sense for him because he's done it so much. But for us, it's hard to, we miss those little details. It's the kind of thing I can kind of forgive with storytellers like Morrison or Hickman because I'm so like fiending for these large scale, huge plots that it's easy to kind of be like, okay, cool. That small step didn't fit perfectly or took a leap, but um, I know we're headed in a big area. Like we're trying to get somewhere else. So that's, that's why, but sorry, your, your other point. Oh yeah. I totally agree with you on that. Like if, if we're playing with these giant timescales, I'm a, I'm a little bit more forgiving of missing one little lily pad, you know, yeah, to get exactly. us there. 
Um, but I think that that is uh, a tendency I've noticed in Morrison's work is he, he misses some of the little details and some people are sticklers for that. But also let's remember that like comics nowadays are at a really, really high caliber with the introduction into the ecosystem of really good creator comics that raise the scale and superhero comics have had to get better. Think about 2006 Batman comic. These were just on shelves because movies were still a thing. They were trying, you know, like for a mainstream comic to hold it to a post creator owned world caliber doesn't exactly make quite a, you know, this is still, this is great stuff, but these were top 40 songs. You know, this yeah. is Batman in 2006. And I mentioned this um, the last time when, when looking at what was coming out at this time, but this is coming out right after Civil War. Like this is, so like the kind of the biggest event comic we've ever had. Right. And now like, like this, this one, it, it's just a weird time where I think there were creators who these are just sort of like, they're in the shadow of these now momentous, huge event things. So it's just interesting. There's a lot of um, like, we're 14 issues into Jeff Johns's Green Lantern run at this point. Oh, shit. We're, um, we're like 15 issues into like Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men run. Like there's just, it's a weird moment for creator, like emphasis, emphasis on creators for character runs. Right. Yeah, which is sort of speaking to what you're saying of like, it's a weird moment of comics trying to be maybe bigger or not as small as they were. Like, but this is just sort of like, they're just putting out Batman comics, you know? Right. Like, trying to find the next big thing. Well, Hush was a big, a big crazy thing when a mainstream, you know, your main Batman book, which is supposed to be like the most widely appealing thing is doing something a little different and intense. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah for a large part of sort look at like frank miller's thing that or dark knight it was kind of sold as a prestige book we're at 2006 we're starting to kind of see main story books that are just mainstays they're mainstays they're just things on a shelf that need to be there mm-hmm. are kind of taking and merging with this like virtuoso so like you get a writer on a main book and then that main book is good so i'm a little more forgiving of 2006 batman run yeah because it's just kind of your Batman run yeah, you know, exactly. It's uh, what needed to be there at the time. And then we have, uh, like, ultimately, Damien has severed the head of this person, put a grenade in it, and Tim shows up once again trying to be nice. He's like, do you right. want to spar? We got off on the wrong foot. And Damien, Which, again, is him trying to, like, go to Damien's level. Like, okay, you like fighting. Do you maybe yeah. want to, like, have some friendly play fight? Yeah. Yeah, and just... Yeah, I mean, you you reinforce that idea, which I, I can kind of forget when people are a dick, but, like, it's it's all he's known. Like, he's never right. known the idea that somebody could be an equal. Like, he only knows whether he needs to be better than somebody or if he's not as good as somebody, but he doesn't know that idea of, like, comfortably being on the same level as someone. So there's right. no way he can really view Tim as an equal or be okay with even there being an equal. Yeah, in in like an assassin's vocabulary, I don't think kindness and goodness are really much of of a word in there. You know, that's like weakness and, you know, what's wrong with the world is something like kindness from like a harsh terrorist assassin standpoint. So for him to not understand kindness, like he only gets it as weakness. So he thinks that Tim's just being like this kind of weak, gross, soft person when Tim's like showing vulnerability and strength. Right. Um, and Damien is just 
I can't believe, I realize this, that Damien, and I didn't remember this, uses the grenade head, decapitated head, as a weapon against him. Like, it's gross. And that's an instance of, like, I would have loved more of that, an even larger instance of that panel there, because I think that's something in the script, I bet Grant was like, and he throws the dilapidated head of the grenade and it explodes, sending D- or Tim off of this thing, and it's actually just, like, one-seventh of the page that that happens on. And I glossed over it at first. I was like, Oh wait, that's the exploding head. Like there, there's just things where I, I think the Kubert art is, is absolutely fine. It's not bad, but I last night when I read this issue and the one after, cause I was excited. I then flipped through the whole book and I was like, I cannot wait for the JH Williams, the third stuff. I know like there, there's just some incredible stuff down the line. Tony Daniels um, that, while I'm really enjoying this portion of the story, it it starts slow and it, it it gets much better as it goes on. So I've I've lent this book out to lots of people, um, and when I first moved into my uh, first house in Bellingham, I had a, quite a few roommates that were like college age guys, all of kind of like a artsy fartsy persuasion, like reader, writer music guys yeah so they all kind of had this idea that like batman comics were kind of mainstream monoculture trash and they were like really confused as to why i was like fucking obsessed with this one book and would go you know once a month down and talk about it for days before and days after you know so one of my roommates was actually like all of them i think tried to be accepting and like started reading it and then almost everyone but one jumped off and said they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But one um, stuck through and he ended up like getting to the point where he would come to the store with me. Um, and that was like, we didn't really get along except for Batman comics mm-hmm. and this Morrison's run. Um, but he always would just go fucking man bat ninjas. Cause that was like, you know, everyone else jumped off and he's like, I can't believe I'm sticking through this man bat ninjas. Um, and I, I think that that and Damien's like initial brattiness, like, sends people away from this run yeah. at first when there's so much gold there just like it's meant to annoy you and i also think that they brought Hubert on this book at first to get that mainstream like yeah they're like oh grant morrison oh god what is he going to do on my batman book that is i i was reading reviews of these first several issues from the time that they came out and yeah people are like the writing's fine i guess fuck man bat ninjas but this Kubert art is incredible right. um, it's it's to get the old school you know oh I wanted to ask you, does Kubert's art remind you a lot of old school, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but good Neil Adams? Yeah, um, it does. And Roman compared some of it to like Norm Brayfogle. So like when the the cape would be like really big and kind of have a life of its own. And I do think that there is that there. There's even some panels in like the first issue where at times some of the coloring reminds me of like Brian Ballin. Yeah, for sure. And then there was even one moment like when um, in issue two of this, 656, I think when Alfred is tying uh, Batman's tie and saying you should go be a playboy and stuff, there was a little bit of it maybe looking almost like Howard Chaikin to me. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, But yeah, it's it's a really, it's an interesting art style. Like having not been reading comics hugely in the time where Kubert was at his peak, particularly Andy, it, it is an interesting kind of one thing I wanted to mention is that what I do like, and it's less on the forefront of this issue, but it is in the previous ones. is like, there's like a very almost bloodborne esque Gothic feel to Gotham. 
like red skies and huge like like the shot where in the first issue where batman is carrying joker's body to throw it in the dumpster um right. behind him it just looks like scenes of old yarnum um and i i love that sort of horrific gothic architecture that that he's put in here so there is definitely stuff i i quite like of his in here his Gotham is like dirty and rusty and bloody and gross. And yeah. I, I think that that's like, a, you're totally, and I even remember seeing in Wizard Magazine, the shot of Joker with a dead Batman on the front um, cover from this arc, the like double page from the first issue. Was, yeah. Uh, a fold out in a Wizard Magazine. And that's what drew me into this run was like, oh, this is fucked up. Um, yeah. So there, he does do that well. But in the, five-page panel where Batman and Damien are sparring by the Batmobile mm-hmm. and Damien knees Batman in the stomach. The, like, orange and yellow background contrasted to Batman's, like, dramatic <laughs> face. Yeah. That is such a Neil Adams thing. Like, that yeah, color palette, those giant, chunky, overly big... Like, there is so much wasted space in that panel. And that's His face an, looks like Neil Adams drawn face right there, though. Yeah, so I almost feel like this art, what I wanted to say, was meant to, like be a point to keep old school fans and allow grant morrison to do something new like don't don't scare away the old school fans we'll have Kubert, the classic a mainstay on this and have you know innovative weirdo grant morrison get that new those new readers yeah i think uh, you're totally right that's a good point i think that it is i think when you're editorial at dc you know that you're going to be polarizing when you bring like a grant morrison on especially in this time yeah so to counteract that with like okay the people who who and i even i said this but i think it was a kind of a dangerous to like the first issue is so not actiony that i feel like right. the second issue is mostly a big fight scene almost seems like that same thing of like well yeah there's going to be a lot of heady weird morrison jumpy stuff but also sometimes it's just going to be batman fighting ninjas and I really felt like that was meant to keep kids or younger readers on. Like, yeah. you know, let's give them a man, bat, ninja. Like, how else are you going to, you're not going to sell this run with to the mainstream stuff when you start talking about the black hand and right. all the shit that eventually comes, comes down the road. Like people are like, what the fuck? I want well, a Batman comic. And that makes me want to uh, cover this one last thing. Um, oh yes. Yeah, sorry. I did a little bit of recon, uh, because in this issue, we get the first appearance in the glass cases of the Thomas Wayne bat costume. Oh, do we? That, like, on the final page of it, as Tim nice is laying there beaten up by Damien, it's one of the costumes in the glass case. And, like, four pages oh. earlier than that, it's in the glass case again. So I was curious, like, what is the origin of that costume? And that costume is from Detective Comics 235 from 1956. Yeah. And in that costume, we learned that Thomas Wayne went to um, some sort of a costume party. And the theme was like flying animals or something. And he had that costume. And on the cover of that issue 235 from the 50s, it's like you know, a, a scene of a guy in that costume punching somebody. He's like, that's right, Bruce. Like, I'm your father. And I was the first Batman or something. It's just a, a classically Grant Morrison, like, well, here's something from 50 years ago. And I'm going to bring it back for this and make people question how linked up all of this stuff is. If, with, without trying to spoil too much, Jeff, since you know this run so well, that scene 
think about where that scene shows up in Batman and Robin, because that very exact scene from that cover and that issue is a piece of this run. I the forget party the scene the, where it comes back, the party, but I definitely remember scenes of, you know, when the costume comes back into play here, but I, I can't wait to stumble upon what you're talking about. Yeah, that exact party is either referenced or he's reattributing that party to now, but that, okay. that party scene is in here, in this in this run. Which is just, I, I love it. That's one of the things that um, Morrison does with this run, and we, we've hit on it before, but like he's turning the entire 75 years of Batman continuity into uh, a sort of cohesive life of a person, and he says that like you know a lot of this stuff isn't forgotten just because it was 50 years ago like we have the issue we can point to it it exists so it has to exist somewhere and and that's a thing that i really appreciate about morrison so i I really liked that it's already in this issue and we get to find out where it came from and the foreshadowing is amazing the costumes here and that's you know huge the batmobile is huge yep and it's in this run as a throwaway thing that is just like such good foreshadowing foreshadowing is hard to do Um, it feels easy and like it's candy but it can be so easily abused um, and make writing really circular and masturbatory if you do it too much Um, so that is really really cool Um, again a thing that really confused me though with the visual storytelling is that bloody key that he gets from Alfred like I was was literally just looking at that and I think that what it is because I thought it was a key but I think that it's the pin of the grenade well, no, because the grenade bounces in the next panel. Uh-huh. And they, they ask him about what they did with Alfred, and he locks Alfred in that room. Oh, okay. So I think it is a bloody key. Oh, God. But there is no reference or anything until that point of what that is. It's just like, oh, here's a bloody key that I'm showing you. And yeah. we're supposed to know, but we haven't been told what it is. And I think that, like, I think, like, we did a big special on final crisis and I talked a lot about in that, how I think a shortcoming is just that I don't think Morrison's scripts are the easiest for that artist to convey. And there are times in this run so far where, while I think the Kubert art is iconic, it, I don't know that he has the like fluidity of storytelling to really effectively play off some of these nuances that were, I think they're more clear in the script. Right. I think you need to like, if you're about to, get work with Grant Morrison, you need to like take a meditation meditation retreat and then like do a bunch of psychedelic drugs as like prepping. You know, you have to like, climb okay. Nanda Parbat and then yeah. go into a cave for seven days in the total right. dark. Um, was there anything else in this issue you wanted to cover? I mean, it's, it's the big Damien issue. So I, yeah, I'm so glad that we got to talk about this together because yeah. it's a character that we both love. I love him. Um, his costume is hideous. Yeah. Uh, from the standpoint of like an artist can be technically good but an artist's need to be creative too in like character design and stuff um he has a great archetypal batman you know batman looks somehow 2000s but also 70s um, yeah in that bluish costume but damien's costume is just like makes him a more unlikable character and i don't know if that's exactly intentional the like upside uh, down triangle mask that is just yeah. dumb and how would that and just white and black yeah. and it looks kind of like a fencing costume it just like lazy make him a ninja you know yeah. like why would he have that costume but um one thing oh i was really thinking about and i'm glad you pointed it out like when does Thomas Wayne become relevant and when is his first appearance? And I guess we only know him through that costume when he appears. And I guess this is technically his first appearance 
in this run like you see the costume there. yeah i was like okay you know i read a little bit ahead and i'm like when does the main kind of villain show up and i can't even remember his origin i just know he's a big deal yeah, yeah. um and the costume does show up here so it's it's all there so that was that's a really cool observation um he's you know he's a master He's a master. Well, um, yeah, you know what? I'll stick with it. I'll keep reading it. Yeah, I, <laughs> me too. I think, I think despite that Damien costume, I'm intrigued. And we're two issues away from the Clown at Midnight issue, which is the full text one. So yeah. um, if people are issue. listening and they don't know Django, who we seeded earlier in this episode, he will be on the podcast for the episode um, that is the Clown at Midnight, two episodes away. Um, well, Justin, thank you so much for joining me once again. This is awesome. Absolutely, buddy. I'm glad to be here. Um, I loved sitting and reading, drinking coffee and reading this book in the morning on my couch. Uh, like that's like some shit that I talk about um, as this idealized thing that I never actually do, and I did it, and it does feel as good as you think it would. Yeah, it's just like sitting back, reading your favorite comic, and drinking coffee. It's been great. Yeah, so far this has not felt like a chore at all um and and i think it only gets better from here so i'm excited yeah and the art only gets better too i was flipping through through the book and i was like oh god the art gets there are so many good artists on this run yeah it's it's incredible um it's incredible that while i like the andy cooper stuff i think that he's the lowest point of the artist because they're all so like in line with the thing that i love right and i think tony daniel's work in this is the peak of his career in my in my opinion yeah All right, Justin. Well, thank you so much. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too, buddy. Have a great day. See ya.